Well, good morning. It's certainly good to be here today in the Lord's house, is it not? It is. Let's stand together now as we turn in His Word to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be reading beginning at verse 26. Luke eight twenty six. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerizones, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Grizzanines asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Lord God, we thank you this day that we could be here in your home, in your house, studying your word. Lord, I ask this day as we seek out the things that you would have us to learn through scripture here, that you would just teach us, that we might grow even more so in our faith and our understanding of you. I thank you, Lord, love you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You know, it's interesting because our culture today seems to have an extraordinary fascination with the supernatural. I was able to take the time and in typing in the word paranormal in a Google search, came up with over 35 million hits. Then after reading all of them, I determined that... No. (laughs) I did not take that time. But you know what? This hasn't been lost to local cable channels or to satellite TV as well. There is a fascination with the supernatural. We see that there are shows out there that are, that are just catering to the paranormal. Shows like Ghost Lab, Ghost Whisper, A Haunting, Haunted History, Paranormal States, Celebrity Paranormal, and the list goes on. Why is there such a fascination with the supernatural? Well, I think because there's this air of mystery involved in it. In some ways, there's just enough danger to make it exciting But yet, I think at the same time, it's safe enough because it's probably not true. But God's word is very clear. There are supernatural forces at work. 
Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Romans 8.38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. While there is this great deal of fascination with the supernatural, you know, we really must be careful. We must be careful to not let it distract us from the things of God. Because the power of God, the power of Jesus Christ, is greater than or equal to any power that exists in heaven and earth and under the earth. As a result, the power of Christ, because it is so great, should really motivate us to share the good news of His saving grace. In our story today, it is one in a, in a sequence of miracles that took place. The first one that happened was Jesus had performed a, a, a miracle to where He showed His authority over nature. The disciples had gotten into this boat and they were traveling across the lake and a big storm came up and Jesus with a single word calms this storm. The second is his authority over the supernatural, which is what we're going to be dealing with today as seen through the healing of this demon-possessed man. Finally, there is his authority over disease and death and the healing of the woman with the flow of blood and the raising of a child from the dead. The story we will look at we'll simply call the miracle. The miracle of Jesus and His authority over the supernatural. And it begins with Jesus arriving in the area of the Gerizanines and involves the healing of this man who was tormented by multiple demons. The setting is, is pretty important for us in this context because it is taking place in Gentile territory. This was something new. All of Jesus' ministry up to this point had been spent in Israel. But here he crosses over to the lake and comes into this Gentile territory. And by going to this region, Luke reveals to us that all humanity benefits from God's message. Look with me at verse 26. And it says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerizanines, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me? Ah, sorry, I just lost some place. Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. When Jesus arrives and steps out of the boat, he receives this greeting. Not quite the welcome you would expect, but a greeting nonetheless. A man who is naked comes running up to him who had been living in a graveyard, who I'm sure was cut up, dirty, bruised, and he runs up to him and begins shouting at Jesus. Our text tells us that he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds. People had tried to subdue him. They tried to to contain him, but he was uncontrollable. And the condition of this man was shocking. To be without clothes was shameful. To be living in the tombs where there was filth 
and rot and disease was deplorable. And to be chained like a wild animal was degrading. Here was the awful effects of evil. Satan's deliberate attempt to distort and destroy God's image in man. Humankind was created in the image of God. We were created in His image, and it brings glory to Him through our character. It brings glory to Him through our lives. But Satan, he has such a hatred for God that he will do anything to destroy that image. The effects of evil seem to be everywhere. If we just turn on the TV, log on to the internet, take a walk through the mall, we can see the fingerprint of Satan all over the place. But we need to be careful because not all degradation is the result of Satan. As human beings, it is common to man for us to sin. We are capable of evil all on our own. We are sinners all the time. By our nature, we are sinners. By our actions, we are sinners. By our attitudes, we are sinners. We don't have to work at sinning. For example, there was a little girl and her brother playing in the next room. Mom was doing some cooking in the kitchen, and suddenly she hears this blood-curdling cry come out of that room. And running in there, she finds her, her oldest daughter pulling her brother's hair and kicking him in the shin. And pulling him aside, her aside, he says, Why do you let the devil put it in your heart to pull your brother's hair and kick him like that? She stood there for a moment and thought and said, Well, the devil m- maybe made me pull his hair, but kicking him in the shins was my idea. <laughs> we are sinners all the time, and all the time we are sinners. Yet we do not have to be held by, captive by sin and evil because Jesus has the power to set us free. He had the power, he used his power, he used his authority to set this man free, and he can do the same for us. Read on with me at verse 30. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Here we see the plea of the demons. It says that they begged Jesus not to destroy them. They had just made a feeble attempt at controlling Jesus by running up to him and calling him, what would, saying to them, what would you have to do with us, son of the Lord most high God? They were trying to use the name of Jesus as being God to control him. In that time and in that place, it was, it was understood that if a person's true name were given out to somebody, it was because that a covenant agreement had been reached. And in that covenant agreement, it also meant that someone, when they knew a person's true name, could have control over them. They could have power over a person. Because someone's name was not only their title, it also expressed their character. If you knew the character of a person, then you had the potential to subject them to defamation. Something like today's modern identity theft. But the demons knew who it was that stood before them, and they fully understood the authority and the power that he possessed. But to emphasize just how great Jesus' power was, Luke gives us the name of the demon. And his name was Legion. In the Roman army, a legion consisted of at least 6,000 foot soldiers, 200 infantrymen, And to them, in that time, in that place, they understood that legion was a source and meant power and meant strength. 
And it's remarkable to think of just how many demons then possessed this man. However, Jesus had total command of them, and the people would soon understand just how powerful Jesus really was. Let's continue reading. Now, a large herd of pigs, verse 32, was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down to the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. The result here is the power of Christ that is so unbelievable. This man tormented by legions of demons, in a single word, Jesus, holding them down, suddenly says, okay, you can go. Now back in, in my youth ministry days, we would do some things to kind of make Scripture come alive a little bit more with kids. And when we were at Hume Lake one summer, I heard P.J. Lewis, who uh, was a camp speaker there often, use this illustration to help us kind of understand a little bit more in a different perspective what was going on. And he told the story from the perspective of the pig herders. And it's always been interesting to me, because if you can imagine these men sitting there, just kind of hanging out, watching their pigs do whatever it is that pigs do, and suddenly they see this boat comes up. And I can imagine one herder turning to the other and saying, hey, get a load of this guy coming up. Who are those people in the boats? And suddenly the man from the tombs comes running down. Now, PJ calls him Larry, and, and if anybody's here named Larry, um, I apologize maybe for this. Um, well, not really. Um, but anyway, they called they call the man with the demons Crazy Larry. Suddenly, Crazy Larry comes running out. I can imagine them sitting there going, hey, watch this. Here comes Crazy Larry. There's no way that these people are going to be able to stand up to Crazy Larry. We've seen him break chains from people. And I'm sure the other herd, you know, pig herder said, yeah. It was great. Remember that time all those people came out and tried to hold him down? Man, he just beat them bloody. Crazy Larry, what a guy. And as they watched the scene unfold and take place, here comes... Uh, uh, Larry down there, and suddenly he drops to his knees. And you can imagine the surprise of the pig herders. What's going on? Why did Larry just do that? There's no way he could do that. He, he's too crazy. He's too strong. He's too, too powerful to, to kneel down before anybody. We've just seen him beat people up. Then all of a sudden, this man points over to the pigs. And I'm sure the pig herders are going, why is he pointing our way? Is he going to send Larry over here? <laughs> I hope not. We've seen what he can do. And then as I sat there, they, they saw these pigs begin to get stirred. And the next thing they know, they're running down into the lake and drowning. And I'm sure all this activity really didn't go well with the pig herders. Because you know what? Right there at that moment, their assets were liquidated. <laughs> and the pigs were in hog heaven. <laughs> okay suddenly their lives and livelihoods had changed and you know what the purging of evil is costly it cost these pig herders their livelihood right there and right then but you know what when Jesus purged evil it cost him his life it cost him his life he died on the cross and in and suffered so that we might have life. 
An encounter with Christ brings about change regardless of the outcome. And I'm reminded of the the story about Paul. In fact, let's turn there. Turn with me to Acts chapter 22. Because this change is important for us to see. Acts chapter 22, beginning at verse 6. Paul is speaking here as he's traveling, as he has uh, come before um, giving a defense of himself. And he begins in his defense by talking about what had happened to him while he was traveling down the road to Damascus. And in verse 6 of chapter 22 in Acts, it says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for me to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Here we have this life-changing effect that Christ has. He changed the lives of the pig herders, not in a positive way. He changed the life of this man as he encountered Christ and the demons came out of him. We know the story of Paul, how he changed from persecuting Christians to becoming a witness as to the life-changing effect Jesus brings to all who put their trust and their hope in him. Well, something this awful and this amazing at the same time, it can only bring about a reaction. And what was it? Well, the reaction was, was quite interesting because on the one hand it was predictable, but yet on the other hand it was very unpredictable. Because we see that the herders and the townspeople's reactions were the exact opposite of each other. Verse 34 in our text says, When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Now, that's the response you would think the herders would give. They ran away to tell people what was going on. But the reaction of the townspeople, however, was unexpected. Verse 35 says that then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Grizzlies asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. I'm sure the, the people knew the condition of this tortured man. They had seen the effects of what what evil had done uh, to him. And you would have really expected them to be amazed at what happened to him. Maybe even at least a little bit happy for him. But it says here that they were seized with fear. They were afraid. Jesus had, in this point, at this time, 
in casting out the demons undone Satan's work. He restored his image in the life of the tormented man, and he was now in a rational, controlled, at peace, and in common state of mind with God. And you know what? Without without Christ, such a transformation is impossible. Something I want to encourage you with here today is that you may be sitting there right now thinking, you know what? There are so many evil things that I've done in my life. There's so much sin that is so deep-seated that there is absolutely no way that Jesus could help me. But you know what? There is good news. Because through the mercy and grace of God, in Jesus Christ, you can be whole again. Jesus took our sin upon Himself, dying on a cross, so that we might have fellowship with God. He can remove that sin. He can make you to be a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. When we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, all has changed. Through Christ, our raging souls are healed. So it is interesting of the reaction of the townspeople because they weren't afraid of the evil in their midst, but yet here they were afraid of Jesus who drove away that evil. Scripture really doesn't reveal why they were afraid. There's this assumption that maybe because further livelihoods would be threatened and they wanted Jesus to leave is the reason that they were afraid of him, but, but it's really not revealed. But it's easy to see that what they were doing was rejecting Christ himself. Daryl Bach put it this way, Unbelief often flees from an encounter with God. The opportunity to draw near to God produces distance instead. Rather than receiving Jesus, they rejected him and asked him to leave. And what did Jesus do? Well, it says he got into the boat and left. But before he left, there was one more thing to take care of. Verses 38 and 39 tell us this. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Here Jesus gives instruction to the healed one. It was both surprising yet profound. You would think that Jesus would have said, If you want to come with me, sure. After all, he came up to disciple to people all the time. and Not all the time. He came up to several people who were to be his disciples and said, Come follow me. But he doesn't do that. Jesus' response was to tell him to go back to your home and tell people how much that God has done for you. And you know what? Those who have responded to Jesus must identify with this man. Because Jesus has called us all to be a witness to the good news of his saving grace. Some of us are called to declare him in our neighborhoods and in our communities. Others are called to travel with Jesus to other countries, to other parts of our country. And right here and right now, if you know Jesus, then you must show and tell others of the grace and the goodness that He has shown you. Of course, what's the healed one's response? Well, 
like anything else, if Jesus says to do this, you should do it. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The power of Christ has the ability to heal and to end harm that the devil and his servants have done. As a result, the power of Christ compels us to proclaim the good news of his saving grace. And this is important for us to recognize because the power of Christ does three things. First of all, it changes lives. When we share Christ with others, we need to be willing and open and honest in telling others about how Jesus has changed us first. When we experience something exciting, we want to tell others about it. We want to describe every little detail about it. I remember the first time I rode, and I'm probably going to date myself here, but I rode the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland. Brand new open. It had never been ridden but by a few people before me. At least that was my thought. And it was such a unique experience that I wanted to tell everybody about it. About how you could stand in line and there was all this neat stuff to touch and to see and to do while you were standing in line. About when you got on the ride and you had this choice of three doors to go through. But you really only went through one door. It just made it look like three different choices. And, and then you went down the track and the, the way the car moved on the track. And then this spectacular ending. I don't know if any of you have ever been on it or not been on it, but it was fun. And I was excited. You will, and we want to tell people about it. Well, you know what? When we share our faith with others, we need to be excited. We have had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, and it's worth telling others about. But we also need to keep in mind that it's very, very important that we keep it at what Christ has done in our life. Too often I've talked to people who, in sharing their faith, say so much about themselves that they forget to even introduce Christ into their conversations. I've even heard people give their testimony, and in giving their testimony, at some points and sometimes they get so caught up in telling about their life beforehand that you think that they really, really missed what it was that they were doing. And by the time they get around to share Christ, you really aren't convinced that, that they are a changed person. But the fact is that Jesus changes lives and we need to share Christ with others and we do so by telling others what He has done in our life. The focus is on Jesus, not on us. Secondly, we need to not only tell others, but we also need to show a life that has changed. And I think one of the greatest stumbling blocks in anyone who gives a testimony about their life is because it doesn't show in how they live. We could talk all we want about how great the life of a believer is, but if we don't live, out, live it out on a daily basis, then it's of little worth. We have, I think, the ability and to be notorious about playing church sometimes. We go here, we come on Sunday mornings and do the whole church thing and maybe even display it at home. And I'm sad to say that a lot of times men are at fault in this more than anything else. Why? Because the workplace, the work environment is not always one that is conducive to our spiritual health. You get caught up in office politics. You find yourself listening to jokes or conversations that really don't glorify God. Maybe in a, a business deal that isn't too grossly out of line you look the other way on 
But if this isn't you in this situation, then praise God. But let's maybe bring everybody else into this a little bit. Kids, when you're at school, how do you act on the playground? How do you act with your friends? How do you act when you're with them? What are the things that you talk about? What are the things... What things do you download onto your iPod, onto your iTunes? I know one that really hits me hard is driving. There are those times where you're going down the road and suddenly somebody does something really stupid. And what happens at that point? Well, your your sanctification is put to the test. (laughs) We come across people, and I'm sure you have, that don't drive all that well. You want to yell at them. Maybe you're in a hurry and the signal light, like I, you know, doesn't change. In fact, this morning, coming here, gosh, God's convicting me. (laughs) I was getting off the freeway, and I just missed the light. It just turned red. And I sat there, and I waited, and I waited, and no cars were going by in any direction. And I continued to wait. And, I, and suddenly I'm thinking, God, I've got to get to the church. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm preaching today. I really need to be there so I can make this light change. You know? And it just wasn't happening. And here we are in our everyday lives going along, wanting to glorify God, and we don't. And we don't show that there's a change in our lives. We miss it somehow. Someone cuts us off. We're stuck in traffic. You know, it can be tough. There's, there's a story about a a lady who had gotten cut off in her car and um, she began to just quickly follow this man, wanted to catch him and give, her a piece, or give him a piece of her mind. And finally catching up to him, she got out of the car, ran over and began to yell at his window. And then she came back, jumped in her car and she didn't no more get across the intersection than a police car pulled up behind her, pulled her over and walked up and said, ma'am, I'm sorry to do this, but you seem to be a, a big threat to society right now. I'm going to have to take you in. And so he t- takes her in and begins to question her. And she can't figure out what's going on. She, you know, All I did was yell at somebody. And finally, they bring her out. And the police officer apologized and said, I'm sorry. You know, I, the reason I brought you in is I thought you had stolen the car that you were in. Because on the bumper, it said, uh, on, your, on your bumper sticker, it said, follow me to Sunday school. And you didn't seem like somebody who would, I would want to follow to Sunday school. So I thought your car was stolen. We need to show and tell others the power of Christ and how it changed our lives. We must each and every day run to Jesus, fall on our knees, and start anew. We must surrender to him. This is what the demon-possessed man did. He ran to Jesus. He fell on his knees and because of the power of Christ, surrendered. And for us to be effective in telling and showing others about the good news of Christ, we need to do the same thing. This isn't easy because every day we face adversity, but you know what? The power of Christ conquers adversity. The power of Christ conquers adversity. We are in a battle each and every day of our lives, whether we realize it or not. Satan and his servants have not changed in their attitude toward God. They still hate him. 
And remember, humanity bears the image of God. We bear the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says that God created man in his own image. And Satan wants nothing more than to destroy that image. To destroy it, to distort what God has created in us. And we become targets. But you know, Jesus has gone before us and has cleared the way to, for us to be his witness. He has conquered adversity and we must be ready for battle. How do we do this? Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Ephesians 6.10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all power and supplication. God has provided for us the means to be able to stand up against the enemy. He's done this so that we might be effective in our witness, but we need to daily ready ourselves by putting on the armor of God. When we uh, were in San Clemente, there were a lot of, uh, of military men around. And uh, one of the guys who was, who was in our church talked about he, how each and every day he had this verse on his refrigerator. And in his mind, as he read this verse, he mentally put on each of the items as, a, as he read down this list. And that prepared him for the day's battle. Because of his military experience and going through the military, he did this almost without thinking. But at the same time, he knew that it was preparing him to do battle for that day. The power of Jesus conquers adversity and gives us strength to share our faith with others. Therefore, therefore, the power of Christ calls us to action. In giving our testimony and sharing our faith, the worst thing anyone can ever do is to do nothing. And the funny thing is that even though we have countered, encountered Christ and He's changed our lives, for some reason we have this difficulty in being a witness for Him. I believe there are many reasons why this is so, but just a few of them, I think, surround the topic of fear. We have this fear of rejection. If in our faith and experience, as we're sharing with somebody, they reject what we're saying, we feel like we failed. And you know what? It's rightly so, to some degree, because what's happening is that we are sharing with them something that we are excited about. We're sharing with them someone that we have such a personal relationship with, with that when they reject Christ, we feel as though they are rejecting us. 
But we need to fight the urge, the feeling of that fear. We need to be able to share our faith boldly, going before people to people who need to know Him, simply because the power of Christ will give us what we need to conquer that fear. We need to remember that it's the power of Christ that changes lives. We are simply to obey Him and tell others of the wonderful work that He has done in our lives. Second reason I think we struggle with sharing our faith is that we fear a confrontation with somebody. And the fear of confrontation comes in two forms. It comes in the form of hostility. Hostility towards the message that we have about Christ. And the second is that it comes because we don't know how to respond to questions someone might have. And as far as hostility is concerned, there is no way that we can ever control how somebody is going to respond to anything that we say. Typically when someone is responding to us in a less than friendly manner regarding our sharing of the gospel... It's because somewhere deep down inside, they probably have a fear of what that would mean for them. There's an emotion coming through that is being expressed. And that fear is that maybe they're going to have to change their lifestyle. Not maybe, they are going to have to change their lifestyle. They're going to have to give up where they are at in their sin, repent, turn away from it, and follow Christ in the way He lives instead. And this brings about hostility. The means to combating this, two ways. One, stick to the facts. They'll try to sidetrack you. They'll try to derail you. But if you stick to the facts about Jesus Christ and His saving grace and mercy, then you'll be able to communicate effectively what it is that they need to hear. And the second thing is that you need to invest the time. Commando tactics with people don't work but you need to invest the time and to be with them to get past their emotion to be able to to rationally and relationally talk with them. When it comes to responding to questions that you may not have the answers to, I found that really there's typically one question that people are are, um, asking. And the question is, is, well, if I'm a good enough person, won't I get to heaven anyway? If I'm just good enough, certainly God's not going to keep me out of heaven. Well, keep things simple. Three verses. Romans 3.23 says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Titus 3.5 says that it is, by works, it is not by works that we have done, but according to His mercy that He saves us. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says that by grace you have been saved through faith in that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no man can boast. When questions come up, we don't need to shy away from them. Instead, we need to take this opportunity to take this time to answer those questions, to bring them along with you and say, let's look at God's word together. And you know what? If a question comes up that you can't answer, it's okay to be human and say, that's a great question. Let's go find out the answer together and seek out somebody who might be more mature in their faith, have a greater understanding of God's word, and sit down and say, let's open the word together and look and see what God has to say concerning your question. By looking at the word of God with others, you will keep yourself sharp 
and gain more confidence in answering people's questions. Finally, the third fear I think that people have is a fear of commitment. And simply put, in order for us to really effectively present the gospel of Christ to people, we need to get to know them. We need to spend time with them. We need to be able to to listen to their struggles and concerns and to learn about where they are coming from. And this is very difficult because, quite frankly, we're busy people, aren't we? We don't know if we have that time. It can be a little inconvenient. And too often we get caught up in our own world that we don't even really try to reach out to others. We don't have time or make the time to reach out to others. And it's interesting because I was having a discussion with somebody about this at one time, about the need for us to be relationally involved in people's lives, to make friends with people so that we might share the gospel of Christ. And their, their response was tragic, I believe, because they said, I'm having enough trouble keeping up with the friends I already have. I don't need any, <clears throat> I don't need any more. While it is God who is the one that prompts the heart of the lost to seek Him. In His divine plan, He has called us to action. He has called us to be His witnesses. I know these are just a few things that Christians fear. There are a lot more that are out there. But the power of Christ, the power and authority of Christ that delivered this man in our story from his demons is the same power that we have today to be able to use effectively in communicating the word of God. Here recently I received a a blog from Dave Byers who is one of our missionaries over in Germany. And in this he talked about how he and his wife were out on a walk in the park and they came across a, a man whose name was Michael who they could really sense within him spiritual warfare taking place. That there was this this struggle that the man was having on a spiritual level that they had never witnessed before. And Dave said that he invited the man to come by his shop one time and to chat with him. And to his surprise, really, Dave said he, he wasn't expecting anything to come of that, but he did come by and actually brought a friend of his. So Michael and his friend named Roland showed up at his shop and they began talking about who Christ was. They've been talking about spiritual warfare, the battle that was taking place. And at one point, Michael began to attack Christians and and how they lived. And I want to read to you how Dave responded to this from what he wrote in his blog. He said this, In part of Michael's attacks on Christians, he said something that I think was very profound. He said, We're the ones out here dying, suffering and fighting, while you're all hiding out with Jesus. This is Michael, the man in the midst of the spiritual warfare who doesn't know Christ, said, We're the ones out here dying, suffering, and fighting while you're all hiding out with Jesus. I have no doubt that they are witnessing more spiritual warfare than most Christians ever will, wrote Dave. Why, why is it that so many of us don't see it? I suppose if I stay inside all day, I never know what the weather was like outside. Having a window is not the same thing to look out. We know that Jesus has ultimately won the battle and is our strength, but that shouldn't translate into us doing next to nothing out among the suffering or just continuing to perfect our Christian understanding and love in safe, doctrinally agreed-upon circles. 
Jesus says our battle, all of us, is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and evil forces in the heavenly realms. Truthfully, a lot, of his, a lot of this makes me uneasy. It's messy and complicated and requires more patience and strength than I have to give. But if the fight is against those powers that I can't see, powers that are trying to keep me down, keep Roland and Michael captive, keep believers hiding out with Jesus, then that's where I need to fight. And he concluded by saying, Forgive me, Lord, when the security of salvation leads me to ignore those who don't have it. The reason that Dave is out there sharing his faith is because of the power of Christ. The power of Christ has the authority. The power of Christ has the security. The power of Christ gives us the ability to be able to share our faith as well. And it's because of Christ's power that we need to boldly go forth and proclaim the saving grace and the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that we could learn from and grow from. And God, I pray that you will just help us to take this and apply it to our lives. We love you, Lord, again. We thank you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.